Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. Mike was encouraging us yesterday to practice our faith. That is, to put the faith we espouse into practice in our lives. A consistent theme already running through James. And here in this passage, he's drawing out the key principle. Faith put in, not put into practice is a worthless faith. It can never be an either-or, faith or works. What God has joined together, let no one separate. And he uses a couple of supportive examples. In verses 15 and 16, it's a kind of a a comic example and it would be humorous if it were not so tragic. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? For some of that's too close to the bone, isn't it? As we walk past a homeless person or a beggar, we give a blessing or a smile, even a Bible verse. When what they really need or want is some food or shelter. And then in verses 20 to 25, he does what a good preacher does. He gives more examples. You know what I love about his illustrations? Well, you guessed it, they're from the Old Testament. (laughs) Isn't that terrific? He'd go well at Ridley, a model for us all, I think. And do you notice that in his examples he has a perfect balance? He talks about a man and a woman. He talks about a rich, prosperous person and a poor prostitute. But when you think of it, what better place in the Old Testament to look for illustrations and examples patterns and principles. And I guess that's why we all need to study the Old Testament, uh, not just in our course, but in our daily lives. And as I said already, that's why Paul thinks that the scripture that's written is useful for teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. And that's what God wants us to be, trained to live a righteous life before him, shaped by his word so that we can live that out day by day. Well, James quotes the story of Abraham in Genesis 15. He believed God and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. And he sees that fulfilled in Genesis 22 when he was prepared to even offer up his son Isaac. He was prepared to put his faith on the line even at the cost of his only son. Abraham's actions showed that God's a declaration that he is righteous was actually accurate. Abraham did indeed live out his faith. He was in fact righteous. And so too in verse 25 with the Canaanite Rahab who put her life at risk by protecting Joshua's spies in Jericho for she could see that God was with Joshua. She believed that and she acted on it. Faith made complete by works. 
Now, it's not just a quirk of James that he wants to hold together faith and works. We see it in other parts of the Bible too. When people come to John the Baptist to be baptised in Luke 3, John insists that deeds must accompany their faith. They can't just come, be baptised and think they can go back to their former way of life and treat people unfairly or harshly. In Matthew 7, Jesus says that faith and deeds go together. A good fruit, a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. They go together. It comes out of a, a, a tree being what it ought to be. And Jesus says in strong terms in Matthew 7 that there are many who will call him Lord but not enter his kingdom. And Jesus may well be remembering the parable of the Good Samaritan that it care not only for their own, but for others who are needy. Now, the temptation is when we see a passage like this, and we know that it's been the subject of big theological debate. Dan's already mentioned Martin Luther. It's to try to spend the rest of the sermon trying to square what James says here with what Paul says when he insists that we're justified by faith alone. But I think in preaching that can often be a big distraction and I wonder if we use that to deflect what I think is the more important challenge of this passage. Why don't I put my faith into practice? This is what God wants to do in shaping me. And I've been convicted as I've uh, been looking at this passage how I need not just to involve, be involved in a theological debate on this passage but to allow it to shape my life. So I want to apply this passage. The point of this passage is very clear. I don't need to spend much time um, explaining it. We all want to get the point. But how does it apply in the church, in ministry, and in our personal lives? A pastor was attending a conference uh, on evangelism. And uh, after one particular session, he was so convinced that he needed to put something into practice, he prayed for an opportunity to do so. He was back at his hotel that night and he went down to the hot tub in the hotel and then he was joined by three men who obviously knew each other and they started to join him sitting in the hot tub. He thought, an answer to prayer. Terrific. God's at work. Now, he was getting a bit more doubtful when they broke out the Jack Daniels and started snorting cocaine. But they did, in fact, talk. And they were talking about what they do in their professional life. And they got around to him and said, oh, by the way, what do you do? And he said, what are you doing here in this uh, um, hotel? And he said, well, I'm attending a, a conference on evangelism. Uh, with a bit of trepidation in his voice as he, as he said that. And one of the blokes return, uh, sparked up at that and thought, look, you're probably the person I need to speak to. I've noticed that a number of people I know are describing themselves as born again. I really don't understand what born again means. But I've seen a couple of friends that I know who are born again and it's really transformed their life and they're different to the way they used to be. And so that started off a conversation for him in the most unlikely of circumstances. Uh, hardly a model situation for evangelism. But a consistent model of the Christian life 
has power, I think, to draw others to the kingdom. When they see that our faith is not just words, but our faith is lived out. I think we're living increasingly in a society that marginalises the Christian faith, that would rather throw mud than ask questions. And I think they need to be persuaded that the church and individual Christians, they often call them God-botherers, still have something to contribute to the common good. We used to be seen as the good guys, the religious ones, but now I think we're being seen increasingly as the bad guy, the guys that cause problems, the guys that cause sexual harassment and sexual abuse. So unless people see that we're adding something of value to the community, they'll be much less receptive, I think, to hear our message. When I was in uh, local church ministry, uh, our church started a couple of uh, schools in the parish. It was an outer um, region of Sydney, a bit like uh, perhaps, say, Melton or Dandenong here. Uh, not a, a high socioeconomic area, but an area where people looked at the local schools and thought they were a bit rubbishy. Now, the church started uh, a local parish uh, primary school and a parish high school with uh, high educational standards and a positive Christian commitment. And it was interesting in that context, a number of the people could see that the church was doing something for them that was benefiting them. And it was uh, encouraging to see that God's Spirit was really at work in that situation, bringing people to faith, bringing people into the church, not just our church, but other churches around, because they could see that the church was committed to something that was benefiting not just the church, but the community. I think we need to turn around people's perceptions by completing the message with our faith moved into everyday life. Only when they see that Christians can make a positive difference will they be open to listen to what we have to say, these life-changing words of truth that we're working so hard to understand. And I think of our responsibilities as leaders in the church. We might or might not be pastors in the church. We might be leaders in particular ministries, uni ministries or whatever. We'll be tempted to say things like, I want to devote myself to, the, to prayer and the study of God's word or the preparation of the weekly talk rather than being involved in the ministries of caring for people's needs, physical or otherwise. I'll leave that to others. Remember the book that John Piper wrote, Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. And regardless of what you think of that book, he makes a, a good point that we can't just professionalise ministry and uh, try to make it remote from living it out in our daily lives. You see, our actions or lack of actions will speak so much louder than our words. And if we model in our churches or in our ministries that we don't get involved in the hands-on stuff, then people will learn so easily that if you want to move up the pecking order, you move out of that kind of stuff and move into more spiritual kind of things. I volunteered in my previous church to work the um, audiovisual, the PowerPoint slides. I'm not particularly technologically competent, as some of you have already realised, but as a way of doing something that really had no out-front role. I volunteer in our current church, or used to, before COVID, 
uh, to do morning tea, to make tea and coffee. It's not because I'm a wonderful barista, I'm not. I drink instant coffee. <laughs> but I volunteered because I want to do something that's not just an out front role. We need to have that servant mentality in our local churches. No, I won't get you a glass of water. No, I will get you a glass of water at lunch. Um, that's all right. But there's a personal challenge too, isn't it? Just Not just in our ministry role. And I think we've got to see that the contrast here is not so much or is not confined to faith and deeds, although that's there, but between dead, useless faith and living faith. Deeds are not something extra added to faith. They're a necessary part of faith. Without, faith, without deeds, faith is not really true faith, not biblical faith. It's only a shadow, a power reflection of what God intends it to be. The point of James' words is to put our faith into practice. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Christian who ended up as part of the resistance movement to Hitler in World War II. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship where he made a distinction between cheap grace and costly grace. He says cheap grace is a kind of faith that doesn't necessarily lead to actions because it doesn't demand a changed heart. Cheap grace, he says, is a preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus, living and incarnate. And we might want to add grace or faith without works. And Bonhoeffer says, only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes. So merely saying I'm committed to God doesn't cut it. Never did. You think of what bothers people about God botherers when they see in us pretend faith. In the days of Trump, we can call it fake faith, can't we? Saying where we care for the environment but doing nothing about it. We care for refugees but don't lift a finger to help. We say black lives matter but do nothing about caring for other races in our community. Is it enough to be theologically accurate and missiologically appropriate and well-applied in our teaching, or do we need to put our faith into practice? Now, at this point, you might be feeling a bit beaten around the head, perhaps even unfairly. I have a confession to make. I'm really only thinking about what I should be doing more or differently. You may have already arrived. You may be model Christians, utterly consistent, constantly sacrificial and so on. You may have already heard James's message. You've been stung by the force of this passage. Um, but maybe there are a couple of friends, maybe one or two friends like me amongst us. And I should say I didn't choose this passage. I was assigned it. I think God sometimes has a sense of humour. Or maybe it's just Reese has a sense of humour. <laughs> but I needed to hear this message. I need to do what God has said. I need to practice my faith, not just teach it. You see, a human body without life is still a human body, but we call it a corpse. 
God doesn't want us to be corpses. Faith without deeds is still faith in a sense, but it's dead faith, incomplete faith, useless faith, James says, lifeless faith. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, but faith is never meant to be alone. Verse 22 here talks about how faith has been made complete by our actions. Faith without works is faith without in name only. Or as someone cleverer than I have said, faith without works does not work. So let's practice our faith. Let's urge others to do it as well. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a hard message for us to hear, harder for some of us than for others. Please help us to put our faith into practice. Please help us to be shaped by your word, not just to think differently, but to live the new life you've intended us to live for Christ's sake. Amen.